We see Band-Aids only being one skin tone for hundreds of years. They only changed their options after George Floyd was murdered. Think about that. That is the white gaze. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today, Christina Williams, is CEO of Unpacking, an online learning and certifications platform for diversity, equity, and inclusion. They provide a way to manage DEI results through interactive experiences and analytics that power content, credentials, and community for healthy organizational cultures. Christina has an interesting entrepreneurial path with unpacking. She's taken her idea through four business accelerators and received funding from two of them, including Higher Ground Labs, which is specifically focused on progressive political technology companies. She's also the great, great niece of Jackie Robinson, the baseball player, so her diversity work is in her blood. Christina and I had a good talk about why she's building this company and how things are going. You should listen. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Christina Williams of Unpacking. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Christina, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Absolutely. I am Christina Ashley Williams, the founder and CEO of Unpacking. We're an online learning and certifications platform for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I came into this work because of my own experiences with racism and sexism, both at work and at school. And I guess we can also add, you know, just at the grocery store. (laughs) Navigating society um, has definitely shown that the disparities aren't solely in this like interpersonal relationship that we tend to default problems too. There are serious institutional and systemic issues that I was very motivated to address once last year occurred and we started to see a lot of companies making public statements around standing in solidarity with Black Lives Matter after the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. What we saw was a lot of public statements and a lot of internal employees then saying, well, I don't actually believe these statements. And so I recognize that I had a unique background in this space because I hold a master's in teaching, specifically concentrated in critical race studies, and I also hold a second master's in integrated design technology and business, which allowed me to concentrate in design thinking or human-centered design. And so with this hybrid background... I launched Unpacking as an education technology company, and we found our real niche in being able to support organizations with their organizational culture to create equitable environments so that they could recruit, onboard, and retain their top talent. It does seem like a nexus of your interests, which is a great area, I think, to start a company when you have both a passion around it and some of the tools to, to do that. I want to go back just a little bit to the background and then we'll go forward to unpacking. Mm-hmm. Critical race studies has become such a flashpoint politically kind of in the wake of what you talked about. It is being campaigned against on the right. When you studied it, you know, in the academic world, I doubt it, it had reached that kind of uh, nerve center yet. 
No, actually, as an educator, it's one of the foundations of learning that we have to understand before entering the classroom. It was a very core component of my graduate studies at the University of Southern California. And you find it very prominent across many um, academic spaces and educational degrees, no matter like what school you're going to, where... It derives from is actually the legal field by Derek Bell, who was in this very um, important space of analyzing the systemic structures that are impacting the lived experiences of Black and Brown people, specifically Black people in context of the United States of America. What he found was the relationships between systemic disparities and health conditions and access to um, finances and wealth building, access to um, educational levels. And so we as educators understand um, the importance of critical race theory because we apply it in the work that we're doing with students every day. It's not just about what we're teaching them. It's about understanding their lived experiences, right? When the pandemic hit, What many educators were very focused on around how we came um, to support our students wasn't just about like what access they had to education and the courses that we were going to teach them. It was the access to food. Schools are our main um, sites for food distribution. And sometimes it's the only meals that students are receiving. Understanding critical race theory is understanding those sorts of connections and makes your brain go there rather than just thinking like, they don't have self-control to be able to do their homework at home. That's not what we're thinking about. We're thinking about, are they going to be able to eat, right? We're thinking about, do they have Wi-Fi access? What are the disparities between which neighborhoods, which zip codes get access to the luxuries of which we think are are necessary to our, our daily life right now? The other thing I would mention too with that is, for mothers <laughs> um, within this space, Gloria Latson Billings is actually um, who. So, Gloria Latson Billings actually is one of um, the people who brought critical race theory over from the legal field into the um, education space. And she's actually someone that's featured in our platform. She's one of our fireside chats, along with Tim Wise, who is um, one of the foremost anti racist um, educators in our country. And so, people in particularly going through our anti-racism module, are able to learn from the people who literally wrote (laughs) the work themselves and have long histories and knowledge in this space to explore their relationship and understanding of the content. So it's clearly a tool that you believe in deeply for improving the country. Absolutely. I believe that... By the time people are in their workspaces, they've gone through conditioning from the society we live in, the social life. Um, They've also gone through degree programs that didn't focus specifically on um, inclusion and equitable designs of products and services. And so what we have happening is people going through these school systems, aka factory style, and then going into workplaces without having prioritized a lens that helps them design products and services outside of a white gaze. And a white gaze is essentially the understanding that when we are building something, there's a default to build for the white experience, right? I can give some examples here. Television color calibration, right? It was designed to calibrate towards white skin. And so for years, we saw many off-colored presentations when it comes to film and movies and television. We see Band-Aids only being one skin tone for hundreds of years. They only changed their options after George Floyd was murdered. Think about that. That is the white gaze. That is people who are great at their jobs, not recognizing that there are gaps in what we are creating and putting out into the world. It's facial recognition software, not being able to even detect um, or misidentifying people based on 
their skin tone having too much melanin in it, or um, facial shapes, which typically come from Asian regions that are difficult for the um, computer to detect differences. And so these are the sorts of things that we explore at unpacking to make it um, more relatable and thinking about the world around us outside of someone called someone a bad word, or this was a law that was inequitable. We understand that those things are wrong, but I think where we really find our niche and we really have stronger impact is making it real for everybody, making them look around their house and be like, dang, I never noticed that, right? Or talking to their family and be like, wow, I never knew that you had that experience. We're looking at the organizations as kind of school sites. We're unlearning and we're retraining um, adults in this work because our school systems didn't do the work prior to this point. And so we're kind of playing a little bit of catch up, but we're also in a new era and we help um, in the creation of futurist thinking and the application of best practices for us to all move forward in a more equitable society. Do you think that it's working? I do. And thank you for asking that question. The reason I think that it's working and the reason I know that it's working is because I see our testimonials. I see our feedback. I'm not talking specifically about yet about unpacking, but I'm talking more about like this improvement to education, this sort of revolution in thinking about being proactive about teaching about race, about inequity, et cetera. Well, I think it depends. Like I can only speak to my experience at unpacking and a lot of what we get first and foremost is in folk coming to us as we hear, we don't want check the box experiences. We don't want, okay, we did it. And now we get some credential. People want behavior change. And so that is definitely a shift that I have seen in what the conversation even looks like and people just deciding if we're the right partner for them in the first place. We have had these sorts of trainings for over the last 10 years, like doing diverse equity and inclusion isn't something that's new. I think the public discourse about it is more prominent, obviously, in response to 2020 and our our social uprising. However, same as standardized with sexual harassment, these are things that have been standardized within many organizations for at least the past decade. Where we're also recognizing there's a shift now, though, is people are saying, okay, well, what we've been doing for the past decade obviously ain't working. So let's look at new ways to do it. And that's also where I really believe unpacking is changing the game in this space. And it's as simple as looking at what's available out there on the market right now, If we think about it, it's literally, hey, go watch this video. Now you're not a racist. Like what? Like that doesn't even make any sense. We're essentially telling people to do some online video that they watch by themselves and expect them to build some human skills that somehow is going to change behavior in the workplace. No, that's a check the box. That's a, hey, I did it. And now I get some brownie points. Where we differentiate ourselves is we have a hybrid experience where we have gamified activities that are designed specifically for experiential learning so that the retention of the knowledge stays longer. And we have virtual workshops with real people, your teammates that you work with on a daily basis, supported by an expert facilitator like myself that goes on a deeper dive of the content with you. And we break into these different activities where the knowledge is being shared from one another rather than us just lecturing at you. You all have knowledge that you're bringing into this space and we help guide you to pull it out of each other. We have this really beautiful outcome, I believe, because essentially what has been available is people expecting people to build people's skills without interacting with other people. And at Unpacking, we are here to unpack together because it's a collaborative effort for us to make any change. So you say Unpack Together, you've named your company Unpacking. Can you explain that concept and why that name? Yeah, it's a double entendre. One, looking at the 
figurative unpacking, thinking about um, how we in therapy, right? We're unpacking, we're digging deep, we're reflecting. And it's one of these concepts of like understanding, okay, well, this is an ailment. This is an illness. This is a sickness that doesn't belong to you as an individual. It belongs to our society, right? It's a group dynamic. It's a social dynamic. And so we're unpacking these broad topics and then narrowing down to how it impacts us as an individual and then expanding back out to how it impacts us within our organization and how we can collectively work together in in that regard. So unpacking from like the therapeutic sense, (laughs) therapy, a psychological therapy um, sense, and then unpacking as it's the prominent word we use in the DEI space in thinking about how we're exploring our um, positions in this kind of social hierarchy. You've sort of alluded to it, but what's the founding story for your company? Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were murdered and so many others, and we have to remember too, like that was after a series of years of prominent cases of our media being bombarded with images of black people being murdered. And this particular murder occurred when we all were forced to sit still and watch it. And so because we were all on pause, it made our attention that much more alert. And so there were a couple of things that were happening for companies in this moment. They were recognizing that if their values did not align with their consumers' values, then they were going to lose money, right? So like the bottom line came in when it came for corporations. We live in a capitalistic society. The United States is built on property rights. It is not built on human rights. Property capitalism is what runs this nation. And a little side note too, like if we think about the inception of this country, humans were considered property. We had enslaved human beings that were valued based on their position as property to an owner. They weren't considered human, right? And so when we think about corporations, all of a sudden having all of this fervor around standing in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, when we had just seen a few years prior, Kaepernick banned from the NFL, We see people getting fired for having Black Lives Matter shirts. We see all these different um, distancing measures and fines being put on people for standing up for social justice. All of a sudden, the choir is changing tune and they're saying, oh, yes, you're right. These are things that we value. These are changes that we want to make. And that was because... Consumers are values-based consumers. And this is something that was difficult to watch because it felt like pandering to our pain. We see this also when we're thinking about LGBTQ rights and the uh, pride parades and like how many companies like will throw out a rainbow so quick um, because it drives business their way. Unpacking recognize that There are human beings working inside of these corporations that need our support. And so we built our programming for those humans so that we could help the words match the actions. Okay, so I get the the mission. How did you go about doing this? How did you build a team? How did you raise money? How did you just decide on a platform, all of those decisions. Tell me about it. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, as a scrappy startup, we were using um, third-party services when we first started. So we were using um, different online tools that were like a digital whiteboard. We used um, some interactive surveys online. We used tools that were kind of available for us to get what we wanted done, but we wrote our original curriculum. And so because my background is specifically focused in anti-racism and social science, 
I led the development of our anti-racism curriculum. And then I also brought in consultants that were experts in different fields. So at Unpacking, we have six core modules. We've ranged from anti-racism to LGBTQ rights, gender rights, disability rights, sustainability, and product inclusion. And I was able to bring in people that had specific expertise in each of those subject areas so that they um, could lead with their background in the development of the content. And so I hire teammates on a quarterly basis and we work on projects specific to that quarter. And for those that are able to offer uh, more for upcoming projects, in the future, like they stay in our pool. So we're able to um, tap them to come back. We are a year and a half old. We launched last July. And between July through December last year, we uh, won a grant from Beyonce, which was amazing. How did you win a grant from Beyonce? How did <laughs> we that applied. happen? We put our name in the bucket and we <laughs> were um, we were one of 100 um, Black-owned businesses that were chosen to be recognized um, by Beyonce's Be Good Foundation and the NAACP. We also were accepted into Techstars. So Techstars is a business accelerator for tech startups. This particular cohort is for social impact leaders. And we went into a four-month cohort where we were learning best practices and building a business from the ground up. We also received investment from Techstars. They gave us $120,000. So we combined that with the revenue we had made to build out our own proprietary learning management system where we were able to integrate more gamification into our learning process that wasn't available on those third-party service providers I had mentioned we were using prior. And so this helped us to have the ability to customize our programming better. Right after that, we got into Higher Ground Labs, which is another um, startup accelerator. And this one is specifically focused on um, political tech. We're not directly a political tech company, but the founders there found that our company is doing work to help people learn more about the society that we live in. And so there's kind of a ripple effect between the work that we do within organizations and the individual's behavior change that we see uh, move out in their social life um, outside of even just work. Have you found enterprises in the political space, political campaigns, party committees, et cetera, you know, progressive or conservative organizations, have they taken up your services? Yes, we have had several sales calls already with, this is our sales season, quarter four is our sales season. <laughs> um, we've had several um, sales calls with uh, political campaigns, including the DNC. Um, and we have actually, later today, we will be talking to all 50 states leaders that are potential buyers of our product, which is very exciting. What's great about unpacking is the fact that Organizational cultures exist regardless what industry you're in. And so the work that we do applies regardless of what um, fields that that organization specifically is in. And we're able to create programming that impacts the thought process and the design process of the work that we do across all of these spaces. I'm very excited to work specifically at the governmental level in the political space because we know that advancing society in a more progressive lens by default creates more accessibility and inclusive practices for all. And so it's just like anything about, oh, okay, we make sidewalks and we make ramps to have as an alternative to stairs. And we may think, okay, this will help people with wheelchairs. But it doesn't just help people with wheelchairs. It helps people with a sprained ankle. It helps people pushing a, a baby um, carriage. It helps people on crutches, right? It's like all of these different advances come when we think about just creating more accessible design processes for one demographic or group. It, there's a ripple effect in, in improving life for all. How was the Tech Stars for you? 
was it worth doing? I absolutely believe it was worth doing. Um, one thing that was really great there was the community that came out of it. Like my cohort members and I, we still meet once a month and we check in on each other and we support and it's a tag team. We make recommendations and referrals and all those things for for each other. And it really, really helped us with our pitch practice and getting our story down a lot better. What I love also about working in Techstars is it is a very large community. They've been around for a long time. And so, um, it's kind of like, you know, when you graduate from college, you're an alumni and like you see someone else in your college shirt and it's like your instant family. It's kind of like that where I definitely have been out at different events and conferences or what have you. And people know that I'm a part of Techstars and it's like instant bond and instant um, camaraderie that occurs because you're a part of like this, this special group. I've also very, very, very much enjoyed the work and impact that's come out of Higher Ground Labs. I have had such great access to bringing on advisors and thinking about strategic marketing plans and thinking about components where just the support has been over and above anything that I've personally experienced or was expecting to come out. And I've been through four different accelerators um, at this point. And so I'm very thankful for for the Higher Ground Labs experience and of course for their investment as well, because it's helped us keep going this year. When I started a company, I didn't, I don't think any of these accelerators were around yet. And, and I mean, it's, there's just a huge increase in sort of the science of starting businesses and the techniques and all of the ways that you can go faster and understand how to measure things more and have different tools. Do you think four different accelerators make sense? Is there like a point at which you've run the course of having done enough of that? You know, what phase is your business in now, would you say? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm definitely accelerated out at this point. <laughs> um, however, I needed the ones that I was in during the times that I needed them. So um, when I first started, I got into Founder Gym. Founder Gym was my first accelerator. It was um, 2018. And thank God for Mandela, S.H. Dixon and Founder Gym, because that was my entry point into tech, into being an entrepreneur in this space and learning about what the heck venture capital was, what the heck it meant to make a pitch deck. All of the very basic introductory, you need to know this if you're going to play this game, because there's one side of the startup business where it's like you're building a business and you are selling to customers and you're building your product, et cetera, et cetera. But then the tech startup space is a completely different animal. There's this whole other side of the business you have to understand. You have to understand valuations, how to talk to VCs, where to find VCs, who to follow on Twitter, what does an um, intro uh, email need to look like, what's affordable email look like, what the heck is a pitch deck, how long should it be, what's your executive summary, like all of these things, what conferences should you be going to? Those are the things that came out of Founder Gym for me, along with some of my best friends in the world who now are raising millions of dollars, are creating products that are impacting the world and changing things. I look at Target commercials. I'm like, that's my friend. That's my friend. That's my friend. I'm looking at um, news articles of like of uh, publications of highlighting new businesses. I'm like, that's my friend. That's my friend. And a lot of them I was introduced to back then through Founder Gym. And it's like, we all stayed the course and we're continuing to run our businesses and build our products. And there were a lot of seeds planted there um, that helped us get going. The next one I was in was Grid 110, which is based in Los Angeles. And they were so great as far as creating an environment that really helped us hone in on product development and iterations and user experiences and understanding that we can't just build from what we think, but we need to talk to our customer and we are not our customer. As much as we think we are, we are not our customer. So I was abundantly thankful for them. And also they have this really awesome community where they continue to provide support in the form of holding fireside conversations with experts and providing other resources. So that those two led me into Techstars and then Techstars and Higher Ground Labs are two accelerators that put money into our business account. 
And that's where those differentiators, I think, came from as far as like what impacts look like on the financial scale. They took us from point A to point B. And so where we're at right now, the question that you asked, where, where are we right now? We are now at point C where we are raising our seed round, where we are raising millions of dollars to put into hiring a full-time team so we can shake some of those contractors and put them into full-time positions where we can continue to build out the technology for our platform with our data visualization, our integrated sales funnels and our community resources, et cetera, along with, of course, marketing. We got to build our brand awareness so more people know that we're out here to, um, to support their DEI initiatives. To this point, venture capital and other capital has not gone very strongly to black owned enterprises as I'm confident you're aware. (laughs) I'm very aware. (laughs) I know some funds that only invest in women or black owned businesses that their things are changing. How have you felt like the subject matter and the ownership of your enterprise? How has that played out as you've started to work in this space in the category that you're naturally in. Yeah, it's um it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. Um well, a couple of things. Numbers don't lie. 2% of all venture capital goes to black people. 2% of all venture capital goes to women. goes to black women. And I fall under all these categories. If you think about all the money that's out there and you think about the demographic position that I am in, I'm in a very, very small percentage. Where we're at right now, I think there's only been even like a hundred, if that, black women in history that have raised venture capital over a million dollars. And that is very telling for how far we have to go um, in this space and who's getting access to the financial infrastructure to really build big businesses that will sustain over long periods of time. How has your personal experience been? I'm fairly aware of this sort of retrograde situation that exists, but like, have have you felt uh, like the gates are opening up perhaps, or I'm hoping? I'm seeing two things. I'm seeing that I have peers that have companies that are very well positioned in helping to close the gaps within diversity recruiting and diversity training, et cetera. They're also not receiving the amount of funds that we're seeing. Last month, um, Forbes published an article about a company called Canvas, which I'm sure is a great product and is doing great work. However, it was founded by two white dudes, right? They received $50 million for a diversity recruitment platform. $50 million. Meanwhile, folk like myself... (laughs) who is a black woman and others like me who are in this space, educated in the space, have lived experience in the space are having trouble raising funding. And what we're seeing is a couple of things. We're seeing folk say, Oh, well, DEI is just a moment. It's not a mandate for the future, right? They're saying this is something that people are just doing because it's hot right now after George Floyd. They're not realizing, no, this is actually something that's been standard within organizations for the last decade, or this is something but that- But they weren't making a, that objection to the two white guys. They weren't guys. making that objection <laughs> to them, right? Yeah. It's like, okay. Okay, people. Um, and like, here's the thing, right? I want to believe if those founders of that company are- very much passionate about doing the work. They found a um, opportunity to help close a gap. And so they did it, right? Their demographic position in society is something that opened a few doors for them to be able to do it at scale while others are not or have not been able to. That's where we need change. What we're seeing a lot in the space is people are being handed money with ideas on napkins and they're getting opportunities to fail. 
we're not getting opportunities to even fail. We need the we need the opportunity. Well, I'm hoping you're on your way to having an opportunity to succeed. To succeed. I mean, it's, well, that's, <laughs> that, that's the goal. The goal is to to succeed. However, the statistics around startups is also like not many of them do move past seed or Series A. And so, like, can like, I want the opportunity to succeed, but I mean, like. At the very least, give me the opportunity to fail also <laughs> everyone else is doing it. I don't believe we're going to fail, but you get, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, the other thing I was going to say around the venture capital is very important is that and this is a conversation my fellow female founders and I have a lot in our private spaces, and we're starting to be more public about it. There is sexual harassment, and there is abuse of power that also comes in this space when people have financial clout over you. I woke up from a text this morning of one of my homegirls telling me about another incident that she just had where um, a potential investor has now denied she's like she had to pull out of a deal because one of the investors was trying to pressure her into doing something that she didn't want to do, right? I've had experiences of people touching me inappropriately, interrupting my pitches to ask if I have a boyfriend, all of these things. So it's not only that we're not getting access to the funding, it's that we're also being harmed in the process just trying to build our business. And this isn't something that we see talked about as much. And I want to be very adamant about naming it because these are very real issues and it's very unfair and it's triggering and it's traumatizing. And specifically in the work that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to literally make the world a more equitable place. So I feel it's my responsibility to name this. What's the next step for you? How is it looking on getting the seed? How is it looking on finding clients as you're, I assume, working on that pretty hard as well? Yes, 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 yes. So as I mentioned, this is our um, sell season. Quarter four is our sell season for several um, reasons. This is the quarter where a lot of companies are putting together their budgets for the upcoming year. And so we get in there so we can get on their radar and become one of their line items. It's also um, the season, it's our fundraising season right now. It's always fundraising season <laughs> all year round. Um, but we are continuing to pitch and speak to different um, investors. And so, yeah, we're looking for funds that have an ethos that aligns with our mission and that sees value in the impact that we're making in recruitment, onboarding, retention of top talent in these organizations so that we can also prioritize the well-being in productivity and not keep performing as the default of what we've seen in the past. That's actually a point I wanted to make. There's a new generation of workforce that's coming into play. Gen Z and millennials are going to be made up of 70% of the workforce by 2030. So we have less than 10 years to get this stuff right if we expect for our conditions to be what meets the standards of this new changing workforce. And the expectations they have for diversity, equity, and inclusion will literally make people decline job offers or leave once they get there. So you may recruit them, right? You may get your little check marks and say, okay, we got these five new black employees. However, if the culture is not aligned with their well-being, they will leave. And right now we're seeing this huge um, movement in this great resignation, we're calling it. And it's because people are choosing their health over toxic productivity, over grind culture, over environments that don't see them as whole as a human, but see them as an object, right? To get something done. And so right now is an urgent time for us to be prioritizing these norms within our workspaces so that people can be their best selves and that way they're more motivated to get the best work done, which of course breeds innovation. Diversity breeds innovation. You have more voices and perspectives in the room. Yeah, it's just absolutely necessary for us to be working on these issues right now. And I'm here to support the, the future of our social culture through our organizational culture. Tell me about the business opportunity. It strikes me that it's a huge market right? Like you, almost any organization you could be selling to, whether for-profit, non-profit, governmental, et cetera. I don't have a sense though of what your services cost. Is that a recurring thing or something they go through once? 
And also, I don't have a sense of what the competition is like. Who who else could they turn to if not you? So give me a sense of that market opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So currently, if you think about what corporations have typically defaulted to, right? We see our LinkedIn Learnings, our Coursera's, our Everfys. Again, these are platforms that are video recordings covering a topic, asking people to watch something and check mark it's done. So our competition is as far as like the virtual space, the online space looks like that. We also see consultants, individual consultants that can go into an organization, run a workshop, one and done experience again. Where unpacking differentiates ourselves is that we provide a interactive and hybrid experiential learning opportunity where you've got the e-learning platform that has gamification on it and you have virtual workshops with expert facilitators that have degrees in this space. And when you're done, there's a whole community of other people to engage with, resources for you to access, fireside conversations with experts at different of our favorite brands from around the world and see how they're um, doing this work. We've got this ongoing support for our participants. And so all of our unpackers become this um, kind of like global community where they get to exchange resources and advice to one another and share outside of just what we have to offer as the business that kind of cultivated the space, but they get to exchange knowledge across different organizations as well. So this year, our trainings are paid per cohort. Our cohorts are up to 30 people. So if you have uh, 300 people at your organization, you would book 10 cohorts. So you have 30 in each of those 10 cohorts. If you got 30 people at your organization, you just book one cohort. And our cohorts are $10,000 currently for a cohort training. Next year, we will be moving into a pay per person per year model. And so that will allow organizations to plug into the next version of our platform because, you know, we're iterating, we're growing, we're building and have a analytical dashboard that also um, allows those participants to kind of plug and play additional modules. And so throughout that year, they're able to complete multiple learning experiences that we have to offer along with engage with the full community of resources and access that we, that I just mentioned previously. I've um, over the years met a fair number of business owners Uh, A lot of them white, not all of them. And I can imagine a little bit of resistance to bringing in an external training into your team. Do I know that this is going to positively impact my workers and my work environment? How would you reassure someone who might come from kind of a skeptical outlook on that, who might be actually getting a bunch of anti training propaganda even like what what would you say to someone who's coming who's who maybe is a little more conservative about change yeah as far as having a third-party service provider so a lot of times we end up getting um, Or, or about having dei at all you know or you know whether it's a consultant whether it's you whether it's you know a platform whether it's a video why would i take that risk with my enterprise if i thought of it that way We have a long history of doing this work. Now, if we think about it. you got about a year and a half. But Well, as as far as running this company, I have over 15 years in this space, however. And so when we think about the even word anti-racism, that just entered the corporate space last year. (laughs) Right. And so when we're throwing people that are working in HR or leadership and development or learning development, we are essentially saying, Hey, we want you to learn this whole new subject matter right now, put together learning opportunities 
and then distribute that to your team. Whereas when they come to us, they're working with people that have been doing it. We ain't new to this. We true to this. Okay. And also for me, I'm Jackie Robinson's great, great niece. So doing social justice work, (laughs) (laughs) doing work that is uh, for the social and cultural expansion of what like inclusion looks like in this country. That's literally in my blood. Literally, you know, pretty awesome pedigree. It's a pretty, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm thankful to have that motivation. It's like, this is my way of continuing this work. It's continuing his legacy. And when they're coming to us, there actually is a disarming factor about it. So people will come to us and we'll hear one of the questions we always ask, what do you hate about DEI training? Right. We hear all sorts of things. They're like, well, we had a bad experience, right? We tried to run something internally and it blew up on us, or we had another organization come in and it blew up on us. Um, what we do for organizations is we provide a linear context. We provide historical context of how we got here in the first place, which is often absent from these trainings. It's typically, all right, let's just jump in and try to solve problems. No. Why is there a problem for us to solve in the first place? Let's talk about that. We go over historical context. We go over vocabulary. Get on the same page about what means what, right? Are we using terms the same? Are we interpreting the the words the same? Um, And how are we all applying it? Let's get on the same page about how we apply it within this community together. We look at real world scenarios, as I mentioned earlier, with some of those examples. When we're looking at across different industries, how does racism, if we're talking about the anti-racism module, because of course we have have six modules, how does that show up in the fashion industry? How does that show up in the entertainment industry? How does that show up in government, et cetera? Um, We look at our personal relationship to the topic, and then we get into futurist thinking. We start to think about our sustainable futures and how we apply all of what we've learned into creating measurable goals and action steps that we can actually apply moving forward. So if you're going through a training with this, you always have ideation projects that you can leave with and directly implement based on what you have taken away from um, your time with us. And of course, it's scalable. That's a big differentiator as well. Once you're, you do one, there's, there's more for you to dive into. It sounds like your answer to that skepticism is, the, is kind of the concreteness of what you're offering and that people ought to see that that makes sense. We've listened to our participants over this past um, year and a half, right? We've got this amazing community. We've run pilots, we've run iterations, we've done so much user research and we kept honing and iterating every single time for us to get to this sweet spot where we know the cadence, we know the delivery style, we know the goals of our user and we're able to create an opportunity where We have standardized content that also has customized components to it that's specific to each org. Is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't? Ooh, that's a good one. Is there a question I should have asked? Maybe our vision for our company, like what we see coming next. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, Our goal is to become the year-long partner with the organizations that we work with. We want a very seamless process where teams join our community, they register their users, and throughout that entire year, we manage their ongoing learning in this space. There's plug and play modules that they're able to choose from. There is a community of like-minded individuals that they're able to tap into and um, exchange information to and from. There is a reliable, dependent component of our partnership where they know that whenever they have a new employee, they know that their experience in going through onboarding with unpacking as part of their process creates this value set for anyone coming into their organization that they know is communicating, this is what our values here at this org. And if you um, intend to stay here, we want you to be on the same page with us as far as how we operate and communicate with one another. Our goal is just is to be 
year-long partners, multi-year-long partners with, with our companies. And I'm very excited to continue to build our brand and to build our product to meet that need. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to tell me about it. If you had another two minutes, I would ask you one more question. If you have to jump, I'll understand. I, I can take one more question. I have, I'm actually pitching to the DNC very. Okay. Well, I don't want to get in the way of that for sure. So here, my, my last question is just like the political realities right now are that you have Republicans running against a lot of what you believe in and a lot of them own businesses. How do you deal with the politicization of the work that you're doing? Um, I don't see our work as innately political. I see it as a human rights work. I see it as... But the reality is people erroneously are politicizing. I'm not arguing that, you know, or I'm just saying I'm seeing like a Virginia governor's race where the Republican candidate is like attacking some of these types of things. Yeah. It's not my decision at the end of the day. It's the organization's decision. And so for for us, we know where we stand as far as just creating equitable organizational experiences and the social impact that we want to have. And we know that that is coming from a space of wanting to create a society that is just better for us all. And it's up to the organization to decide where their values lie. And so we're here and we are available for organizations that see alignment in what we have to offer. As far as the um, politicizing of it, I think that falls more on the organization on whether they want to do this work or if they want to continue to do these one and done experiences and how much that's actually doing anything for behavior change. If you want behavior change, come to unpacking. If you're comfortable where you're at, Hey, there's plenty of other options out there for you. Okay. Thanks so much. Great guest. Appreciate your time. Go on and good luck with the DNC. Thank you so much. That was Christina Williams. Christina is at unpacking.co. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.